Welcome to podcast number 145 this week of the Texas Hemp Show podcast. I'm Russell Dowden, your publisher for the Texas Hemp Reporter magazine. Our 20th edition of the Texas Hemp Reporter comes uh, to the warehouse tomorrow. So we don't have the magazines with us today. We just missed it by one day. I was hoping to have those ready for us to show everyone. But the magazines drop tomorrow in Central Texas and then get out to San Antonio uh, Dallas and Houston uh, this weekend. So uh, that'll be uh, exciting to get those out to all of our uh, retailers and uh, CBD stores throughout the state. But uh, my co-host is joining me in studio this week, my, the lovely Rachel Nelson. Hello, Rachel. How are you? Oh, good. How are you? Good to see you. Uh, been, uh, been a couple of weeks since you were out. Yes, I missed you guys. And you were, <laughs> last we had you, you were on the boat a while back there, I recall. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, reporting live uh, from, from a very smoky party. <laughs> you get all the fun stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to the show, and it's good to uh, jump back in here this week on the podcast. And we're going to talk with our, um, uh, you know, I've known this next guest of, of her for quite some time. And uh, and about every podcast in, in Texas has had her on in the last year or two, but me. So I finally had to, had to reach out to Dr. Wendy Askew, going to be our guest here on her upcoming podcast, Sex, Drugs, and Wellness. Uh, welcome to the podcast, uh, Dr. Wendy Askew, uh, coming, chiming in live from the Windy City this week. Hi, Wendy. How are you? Hey, Russell. I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I love your show, and I'm thrilled to be a guest. Thank you. Yeah, cool. You know, we were looking forward to meeting you in Dallas at the Roundup, but something came up for you, I think, you you had told yes. us. So I was looking forward to seeing you up there, but something came up, and you missed the Roundup after all. It was a last second thing, and um, I forget what it was, Russell, but it was a conflict. I think it was probably with my youngest child's soccer schedule. Uh, you know, I'm still a soccer mom, so I'm a slave <laughs> to that. But um, I, I did miss everybody. Well, that's okay. Mother, mother, mother calls and mother duty comes first, uh, as as we all know. So that's uh, that's all right. Good to good. I heard to... it was a great event. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'm always looking forward to it. And and I know Dalton does such a great job with those events. So uh, I'm gonna make it soon. Well, we. Uh... We should have some events going on. Does San Antonio do anything major like that? We we get a couple of them here in Austin a year, and then Dallas has one or two. Uh, I haven't been to anything major in San Antonio in a while, so we need to make sure San Antonio gets a couple of big ones a year too. You're right. We need to shake it up in San Antonio. I think we're just a little sleepy uh, outlying community still, but um, we do need to, to kick it up a notch or two. Yeah, and I, I love any excuse to go to Dallas, and, and Austin's just up the street. So, That's right. Yeah. Well, you know, Wendy, I have your bio, and it talks about, you know, you, you know your journey and, and, you know, with regenerative medicine, um, yeah. conventional therapies, but I think a lot of our audience probably is already a little familiar with you because I'm yeah. I'm probably the last one in the in less of all the podcasts that had to interview you but you know you are a veteran of the Air Force um and uh, uh you've uh, been a member of the American Academy of Cannabinoid Medicine as well as the Society of Cannabinoid Clinicians and um I guess uh tell us a little bit about your background and uh 
and um, sure. you know what uh, get a little familiarize the Texas Hemp Show viewers uh, about Dr. Wendy Askew. You. No, I'd love to. I'll try to keep it short. I know I, I talk a lot, but I've been a physician for 25 years. I guess unsupervised, like I graduated from residency in 01, and I practiced regular obstetrics and gynecology, conventional medicine, writing prescriptions and delivering babies and things. And then about 10 or 12 years into it, I just began to have more and more patients asking for more holistic treatments. And that's not how you're trained in osteopathic uh, medical schools. You are trained to write prescriptions and to operate on people. And instead of just like dismissing them, I heard it so often that I thought, you know, I really should go and educate myself about these things. I'd rather than just tell people that they're crazy. And, um, and so I started to drink the Kool-Aid of, you know, holistic and functional and integrative medicine, where you look for root causes of disease and illness and um, try to cure people by fixing the root cause rather than layering prescription and prescription on. Mm -hmm. And that leads you down a, a pathway of looking for supplements and looking for mindfulness and looking for better sleep and looking at people's mental health. And it led me to the path of uh, exploring cannabis as a medicinal therapeutic. Certainly, I have my own history. I grew up in Northern California on an army base just uh, north of San Francisco. So I had my own um, adolescent experiences mm -hmm. with it. But I learned about it as a scientist, how it works in our bodies, how it works as a regulatory molecule, and um, was just blown away. So absolutely needed to add that to my therapeutic armamentarium of, of treatments for patients. Um, and so now I don't do any hospital medicine anymore. Mm -hmm. I do a lot of um, hormone management. I am one of the prescribers in the Compassionate Use Registry of Texas in our TCAP program. And um, then I, I, I do love the regenerative, so stem cells and exosomes and things like that um, that are really making some progress with respect to the landmine that is the uh, FDA and the regulatory um, community, but it's they're very safe treatments. And so for me, I just want to engage and incorporate and offer pharmaceutical products when they're appropriate, holistic products when they're appropriate, cannabis when it's appropriate, and then sometimes, you know, taking things away, helping people get to the root causes, identify their sources of stress, trauma in their backgrounds to really heal. So it's rewarding. It's a lot of talking than most, more than most doctors can accomplish in a 15 or 20 minute visit, but you can really help people. And, um, you know, I know this is the hemp reporter. Uh, and I did want to talk a little bit about um, some of the situation with our program in Texas, but um, it's what brings me joy is really helping people feel their best and get relief from, from their symptoms. Yeah, and, and I wanted to ask maybe get you to speak about uh, just treatment in general with many physicians. Um, a lot of mainstream medicine prescribes the, the health like you said before, with their wallets in mind, and sadly, uh, but moreover, often, uh, you know, the, over than the, what the patient's overall well-being is, and, and and can you speak to that? And and you you've, yeah. you've you've you're overcome that, and you you you've taken this holistic approach, and and sadly, that's just part of some of the business in in medicine. It really is, and I don't really know. Like I, I always tell people. I always give them my little warning, like, hey, I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on just so y'all know. I am suspicious of certain entities. Um, but uh, the pharmaceutical company is so powerful and their revenues are so crazy that, um, you know, there is a lot of pressure on physicians to not look at or consider things that are more holistic. So I don't know that anybody's bought off specifically. It's just the way you're trained. You are trained that vitamins don't work and you're trained that prayer and meditation or, you know, these weird alternative complementary things. And that what we should be doing is just prescribing, 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 prescribing more prescription medications. And then when you start to look at what the effects and the risks associated with that are, it's really alarming. Um, so for me, I had to take a step back. And again, I just want what's best for the patients. You know, if that comes in a little orange bottle or if it comes from one of our dispensaries or if it comes from learning how to meditate and helping people um, get rid of their, cure their stresses and things, I I'm open to all things. So, yeah, I am a little bit disenchanted with medicine, where it's gone mm -hmm. and where it's come, where it is. And then the only other piece that I do want to say is that I am still shocked all the time when I hear my colleagues, other physicians, people that I respect in their fields who still hold these positions and tell my patients all the time that that cannabis stuff doesn't really work. I get it, you know, but it, it, there's, there's no science to it. And you just want to like shake them. 
Yeah. Occasionally, I'll get to gentle um, social media discourses with them when they'll pop up some article that'll say like, oh, and cannabis causes infertility. Look, they proved it again. Or cannabis causes dementia. Look, they proved it again. And then I have to just gently engage them and show them like, if you look at the research that they looked at to draw these terrible conclusions, you'll see that it was garbage in and garbage out and try to get them to understand that, um, you know, you can't always believe everything you read. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely more... The, the the culturally, you know, I think we're there. If we could just get, you know, some of the bureaucrats in Congress to, you know, w wiggle and, and make this uh, a little more accessible from the medicine side. Um, but clearly the states are coming around, you know, and you've seen this. You travel. You're around. You, 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 you are certainly aware that these other states are getting far ahead of Texas on, on the medicinal side of, of this plant. For sure. It's embarrassing a, a little bit to be in a state that is so far behind um, with respect to understanding and accepting and offering it to patients. Um, so I, I wonder with you also, I think, Russell, like, is, are they, are all the politicians just like in the pharma lobby's pocket or do they really still cling to these fallacies from the 1970s yes. and 80s? Yeah, but I don't know the answer. Well, you know, and, I'll, and J Rachel has a question for you here in a minute, but I, I want to just speak to that because I've we and we might touch on Dan Patrick a little later in the show, <laughs> but clearly that's one of the obstructions that we've had is our yes. own lieutenant governor, yeah. uh, you know, here in the Lone Star State. But uh, I, I've often wondered, and I don't know if it's true, but you know, is it is Dan Patrick still accepting? you know, financial campaign contribution from the prison lobby or is it law enforcement lobby? But there's something there to me that makes me wonder, you know, why it's so hard to get there uh, with cannabis and, and opening this up for at least, um, you know, stronger for, uh, forms of, of cannabis here in Texas. So I just don't know where we're at with that, but we need as Texans to recognize where that stump or challenges and mm -hmm. and vote on vote our our way into uh better better senior um members there in 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 austin so if you want to chime in on that i just thought i would throw that because I've, I've heard you on other shows and i we know that that's dan patrick's kind of been some yes. of the stumbling block that we've had in at legislative session yes. Absolutely. When we were there this um, year, earlier this year, that was the question. And no nobody could really mm -hmm. give me an answer. I guess I don't know any of his friends or hang out in those circles or anything. But like that really is my underlying question because yeah. you want to give people the benefit of the doubt. Like I have physician colleagues, smart people, arguably, who I hear from them all the time, like there's no science in it. And I want to tell them like there are tens of thousands of scientific Papers. Now, it's a Schedule One drug, so it's not the type of science that you want. You know, you want a randomized controlled trial. You're really not going to be able to get that or fund that with a Schedule One drug, which is all the more reason why we need to deschedule it um, so that we can do the research. But my colleagues who even when I email them links and articles and present them with scientific papers and um, explain the science to them, they, you can see like the shell starts to crack a little bit, but they are still skeptical. And with Dan Patrick, I just can't understand, like, are you still brainwashed from the 1980s or <laughs> are you bought off by the pharmaceutical lobby? Yeah. Because it's got to be one or the other. I don't understand. Right. Yeah. Totally. I've yeah. I've wondered that myself. Um, so, yeah. doctor, you specialize in hormonal treatment. And I'm just curious, like, um, why is this important to quality wellness? And where do people start? Like if they're on a journey where they're like, you know, maybe they just feel something's off. Maybe their hormones aren't where they're supposed to be. Um, can you kind of speak to that? Yeah, I can. So hormones <laughs> are a huge part of my, my practice. And, um, and I am very open, like I said, to everything. So when people start to research and learn about hormones, you start to become aware that they really do have an impact on so many aspects of our well-being. Um, any woman who's, you know, reproductive age has experienced PMS um, and knows that right before your period, you experience these changes that are occurring in your body. And then when we look at the research and treat patients who are deficient in testosterone, men and women both, what you see and when you look at the articles is um, just ast astounding because testosterone, for example, I did talk to my friend Juan um, about this on his podcast. Yes, I saw but that. Just, 
it's fun. <laughs> just But just for an example, it sounds like snake oil, kind of like cannabis, but when you understand how these things work at the molecular level, it makes more sense. Um, testosterone can do so much, and some of its strongest research is for its beneficial effects on mood, depression, and anxiety, on energy and motivation. It can help with circadian rhythms, so sometimes it can help people sleep better and have fewer wake-ups at night. It's shown to have really protective and beneficial effects on the brain, so to slow down the cognitive decline that we all experience as we're getting older. Heart protective, very heart protective. So there's two schools of thought on the cardiologists, and I kind of know which ones are more knowledgeable about it, but testosterone is very beneficial at the level of the heart, specifically so when patients start on it at a younger age, before they've had a time to develop plaque built up in their heart. So it can decrease inflammation, can help with muscle mass, it can help with memory, can help with motivation and drive and depression and anxiety. So it's always trial and error with patients where we have a long talk about their symptoms and then we check their hormone levels and then decide if they want to try it. And then within about two to four weeks, if a hormone is going to have a beneficial effect, we'll be able to tell. Yeah, I and got it's not. You know, I've taken some, uh, I think my levels are right under 300. And a few years ago, right before or during the pandemic, I was taking um, a, a, a therapy with one of the agencies in North Austin, but I moved to Round Rock and I never kept up with the I never kept up with the therapy over there with those with that other clinic because I, I had moved over here and, I, and since I moved I haven't gotten back on there but I found that I had trouble sleeping initially uh, with it but I didn't do it for more than two treatments or three treatments Wendy it, it, does okay. it ultimately yeah. does it help with sleep after you know you say stay on it for a, a month it can. And um, so I don't know what you were taking or um, when you said two treatments were like once a week treatments. Was yeah. It an injectable form? Yes, it was yep. injectable form for about two or three treatments. Yeah. And then I moved and I never went back to, you know, I just never kept the program going with that clinic because I moved. And everyone's body is unique and their responses are unique. So I always um, tell people the human body is far too complex to function in an algorithmic fashion and engineers and things get very frustrated with that. But um, yes, it's a subtle improvement that we can see. Some patients have a more dramatic response, but with respect to like those wake-ups that sometimes will happen in the middle of the night, although sleep is very multifactorial, but for a lot of people, if they get night sweats that wake them up in the middle of the night, testosterone can be very beneficial for that. And if they have just random wake-ups where like three o'clock rolls around and there you are, lying there staring at the ceiling, counting sheep or meditating or doing what you can to try and fall back asleep, sometimes testosterone and estrogen in menopausal women can help give a subtle improvement in their maintenance phase of sleep. They don't help as much with the initiation phase, but they can help with the, um, staying asleep a little bit. So that's just one of the benefits. But to be very honest, like sleep is so foundational. If you aren't getting good quality sleep, every other aspect of your health is going to suffer. Yeah. And cannabis is my favorite prescriptive for that. <laughs> I wish I could get everybody with a sleep disorder on to some THC with or without the CBN. The dispensaries have got some phenomenal products. I've got people who take like Ambien plus Trazodone. You know, a, one of my patients is a criminal attorney here in town. And I had to kind of like gently pressure her to try it for her MS because she would tell me things like she would say, Wendy, I put people in jail for that. And I would tell her, well, you really shouldn't, but why don't you just try it? And after like a few months of like introducing the topic, she agreed. And the next time I saw her, she looked 20 years younger and she said, I'm sleeping for five or six hours in a row, Wow, which is yeah. better from than two. Yeah, yeah. You really have to take your health into your own hands. These, you know, with um, big pharma, it just seems like has way too much power. Yeah, you do. Um, I worked in healthcare marketing for like five or six years and it really is eye-opening that you know just because someone's in a white coat doesn't mean that you have to you know trust everything they say um i like that you seem like you really take time with each patient and just like talk to them i feel like a lot of times when you go to the doctor it can feel like they're trying to just like rush you through you yeah. know so it's so important to find someone that really gets it gets yeah. like the whole picture and not just you know putting a band-aid on the symptoms yeah that's very true and i i exactly. feel i feel rushed sometimes just going to my personal doctor because i feel like he 
just wants to get me out of there sometimes. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. But um, we'll stay yeah. right there, Wendy. We're going to take our first commercial break here on the show, and then we'll come back. And I, I have some other questions for you about uh, cannabinoids. And, you know, my father's taken a few things. My mother has. My, my fiancé has a couple of, of issues. And so we'll talk a little more about our health and our, our guest, uh, uh, sex, drugs, and wellness expert, Dr. Wendy Eskew, right here from our own San Antonio, uh, calling in this week from the Wendy City. So we'll be right back. Texas Hemp Show Podcast 145 will be right right back on the other side guys stand by you work hard every day to grow the best crops we work hard to help you boost your yields and cut your costs since 1938 we have been pioneers in agricultural testing helping growers like you as experts in soil health and plant nutrition, we provide custom fertility recommendations and innovative solutions to your most challenging problems. Plus, our clients always enjoy the benefit of one-on-one -on -one consulting. Don't wait any longer. Call us today. Stop guessing and start testing. The Texas Hemp Show is brought to you by your friends at CBD Pros USA, your cannabis experts. Right now, you can save 50% off any one product if you mention the Texas Hemp Show. That's right, 50% off anything on the online store menu. Nano tincture, watermelon gummies, our Brio Drip Moisturizing Cream, any single item, 50% off. That's CBD Pros. CBD is present in more significant quantities in hemp than marijuana. And because it's non-psychoactive, CBD is widely regarded as the cannabinoid with the most health potential by researchers. If you'd like to learn more about CBD and our products at CBD Pros, you can read our education page and browse some of our products to learn more. Visit CBDProsUSA.com. That's CBDProsUSA.com. Milan Wellness is a proud sponsor of the Texas Hemp Show and has earned a reputation for creating future-minded CBD and Delta innovations. From broad-spectrum CBD to a wide variety of recreational products, Smilin offers the best experience while matching the needs of consumers across the board. Are you a fan of edibles? The Smilin connection of in-demand hemp-derived goodies are bursting with flavor. Fun to consume, drive long-lasting results, and provide just the right amount of cannabinoid dose. Check out the variety of potent Delta 9 Gushers, Delta 8 Chocolate Malt Balls, Space Rings, and Nerd Light Candy Clusters. Smilin has also unveiled a new line of functional and euphoric mushrooms that provide powerful and pure solutions to nurture the body and elevate the mind. Stay tuned for the biggest launch of the year, Mushroom Life. Go to SmilinWellness.com, S-M-I-L-Y-N Wellness.com. The Texas Hemp Reporter Magazine. Would you like to host the Texas Hemp Show podcast at your business or special event? Now booking live broadcasts from your location with our new demo vehicle, the Texas Green Machine. Email Russell at Texas Hemp Reporter at gmail.com. Now back to the show with your host, Russell Dowden. Welcome back to the Texas Hemp Show, podcast number 145 this week on the show. Uh, shout out to my producer, Carl. Uh, last week on the show, when I mentioned that he was on for uh, two years, he came aboard around show 44, so we've done 101 shows together, and that was not over a one-year period. It was over It's over two years. There's, there's more than... It's, it's, uh, there's 52 weeks in a year, Russell, not uh, not 104 or whatever. <laughs> anyway, welcome back to the show, guys. Our guest, Dr. Wendy Askew, uh, chiming in here on the show live from the Windy City. Uh, she's uh, uh, doing some uh, other work there uh, up in the Windy City, getting up one of her spas up and running up there. Uh, so welcome back to the show, Wendy. And, uh, and uh, how is the weather up in the Windy City? 
Thank you. It's gorgeous. It was a high of 74 today. Started out a little cloudy and then the clouds broke and it was just beautiful. So, no, I'm thrilled to be here. I hear it cooled off a little bit in Texas, though. Yeah, it's been nice here actually. Uh, quite uh, quite tolerable the last few days actually. The rain the rains came in and cooled things off a little bit. So we're uh, hopefully be nice and cool as you when you return as well. Um, let's change gears uh, yeah. and talk about um, cannabis and treatment. Um, Yep. What what benefits are you seeing with cannabinoids in in your patients? I I have my father has um, uh, Parkinson's, a m mild to moderate case of Parkinson's, and you know what we've given him, Wendy, is we've given him dad uh, THCV pills, gummy pills. They're THCV, cool. and yep. awesome. I know uh, you've talked on the show mm -hmm. with us, Rachel, about trying those, and those were more kind of a appetite suppressant. Mm -hmm. The ones Aaron Owen yep. from Tejas. So uh, for dad, it wasn't the, it was more for Parkinson's and we found that that yeah. was kind of a relief. Can you talk about just some of the things that you've uh, um, advised or, you know, given, yes. uh, given uh, uh, solutions for or, or, or recommended for your patients? Prescribed for, uh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, we love it for Parkinson's. I have, I think, two that I can think of patients with Parkinson's, Parkinson's and it does help with the tremors mm -hmm. and they sleep better and their mood is, is very calm. So obviously those effects. The, my favorite things are um, the patients with pain and um, sleep dysfunction and the anxiety, obviously, in the PTSD patients. But um, so what I'm seeing, I think maybe I have two out of well over 150 patients, I think, that I have um, in the system who have not come back and said that they are doing great. So it's overwhelmingly positive. And the most exciting things are that so many of them are able to stop taking their benzodiazepines, you know, their Valiums and their um, Xanaxes and their Clonopins, um, which, you know, those are addictive, they're tolerance forming, they exponentiate the effects of opioids. So they have a role in the deaths with our opiate ongoing crisis. Um, so they are getting great control of their sleep, their pain, um, and it's such a, a mood elevator. So um, those are the, you know, what we're limited and able to prescribe for, mm -hmm. but muscle spasticity. So this is, I did want to say this because I'm hoping people will see it. Mm -hmm. I wanted to mention that the program is struggling so much in Texas. And I don't know if you heard this or not, but um, Good Blend laid off their entire sales force last week mm -hmm. um, because revenues are down and they can't afford a sales or a marketing team, which is obviously backwards thinking you need the marketing to grow your uh, business yes. but the entire sales force was laid off um and we only have fifty-five thousand patients in the state that are using and i don't even know what our population is but it's millions and millions and millions um so it's really distressing and the more we can get the word out if patients suffer from ptsd from nerve pains from um what are the other conditions any form of cancer all seizure disorders chronic neurodegenerative pain. So if you've got pain from a compressed disc where you have that sharp shooting or burning pains, those are all qualifying conditions. Women, if they suffer from overactive bladder or a type of sexual um, dysfunction where they have a vaginal muscle spasm, cannabis is wonderful for these treatments. TMJ, there's some mm -hmm. conditions that like patients wouldn't that. think they're eligible to, and, and I'm sure hopefully you get good relief from some organic uh, therapies, mm -hmm. but um, yeah. So I'm just really happy with the results that the patients are getting because they're really happy. They feel better, they are less somnolent. You know, it's not about feeling baked all the time. We can dose them and titrate and change their ratios and their milligram dosages so that we can get effects in the day with just relief of symptoms, anxiety, pain, whatnot, without impairment so they can still drive, take care of their children, work effectively and not be impaired or distracted or anything like that and get really good relief from something safer than most of the stuff we prescribe. Well, you know, Wendy, um, Carl, my producer, was just pointing out, you know, there's 30 million Texans in the Lone Star State. 30. We've got, got 55,000 of them on the cannabis program. Now, now <laughs> you know, I've smoked plenty in my time over the years, uh, but I get, I get to tell you this, if we had a real good quality 
medicinal program like New Mexico or, or, or Arizona or, or Colorado or, or even Illinois, where you're at now, uh, they have great medical programs, then you would see this yeah. these numbers would be in the millions, oh, yeah. and it wouldn't be such yeah. a, tro- a, a challenge for Good Blend to, to stay, uh, you know, stay with the, the workforce uh, and strength uh, and numbers. Yeah. Uh, how far behind are, are we, is yeah. it going to be for Texans to catch up? Uh, we just have to get some forward movement from Dan Patrick, especially. But I really feel like there's a lot of um, people don't even know we have a medical program. Yeah. Patients, doctors have no idea that we have a medically legal program here in this state and that it's available and a lot of practices are concierge and cash pay and that's expensive the economy's hard right now but a lot of practices do it through insurance-based visits the two practices that i've uh, been with recently both take insurance for those visits the prescriptions aren't covered but the visits aren't 150 dollars a shot mm-hmm. so that brings it into the range and um and we can get good relief you're right with the dosing i saw a young man um last week who had lost an arm in a motor vehicle accident who has that burning phantom limb pain mm. and um he, he needs higher doses for his pain so for him to use a tincture he was going to have to be drinking like five or six mls every six hours to get adequate pain relief um and so that's prohibited we've got to get the caps removed we need yeah. more expansion we need better formulations but we really need right now is for the word to be out. Like if I had the budget for it, I'd put billboards up over every major interstate in Texas just saying like it is legal, it is safe, it is available, call your physician or, you know, put a bunch of our names on it. Well, there was Um, unfortunately there was a lot of other things going on with the legislature this last session. We didn't really see any anything um change or any or nor did we get any movement, you know, Wendy, from from legislative uh, this last session, but we do need to get doctor's discretion, you know, which allows you to, you know, choose the milligram dosage, you know, for your patient, yeah. if they need 10 milligrams or like this, uh, the gentleman with the arm, um, limb missing, uh, you know, he could, he could have higher doses if the doc, if that was given. Uh, so we need yeah. that. Um, we need to get, um, uh, higher quality cannabis for our patients as well we're still sitting at that one percent wendy uh that needs to go up to something reasonable maybe five if not if not seven and a half Mm -hmm. uh like some of the other some of the other states i know you this next one i know you're excited about uh because i heard your interview with juan uh a couple of weeks last week uh where do you see micro dosing going with psychedelics and where is that heading in the next decade because this is becoming very popular people are doing a lot of research on this this is getting uh approved and explored uh, i think more and so a lot of conferences this year i've noticed uh in this psychedelic space can you talk a little bit about this and how how excited you are for that that uh, that space yeah it's hard for me because I am so excited about the psychedelics. <laughs> I think the microdosing is phenomenal. I think that's a little bit further because right now, FDA approval is anticipated for um, psilocybin and MDMA. They thought they might get it this year, but it's probably going to be mid next year, 2024. And that's going to be for macrodosing, for the treatment of PTSD, hopefully for um, for treatment-resistant anxiety and depression, for anxiety and fear in patients who were dying. It's just the results are astounding, like mm-hmm. curing people. That mm-hmm. is so exciting. Which um, So I am thrilled that we are finally moving this area of holistic medicine and doing what ancient civilizations did and not so ancient civilizations and used the natural medicines that God grew around us everywhere to treat the conditions that we need help for. So I'm super excited. The microdosing piece I don't think is quite as much on the forefront as the macrodosing, but so many patients who have really cured their depression and anxiety, and we all know that the SSRIs and the treatments that we have for depression and anxiety are really, really poor. What Mm. they'll do is very unimpressive in how much relief they give patients and their side effect profile too. The other piece that um, I don't think people are aware of this is stuff that we need to do on our side with the like the physician community. The pain management doctors have been disciplined for allowing patients who are on medical cannabis to main to to receive it. Basically, they've there have been several doctors in the state 
who have been sanctioned and a couple that I know of who've lost their license because they had patients who were taking opiates, which we know are horrible and, and deadly, um, who were on cannabis and they continued to prescribe like breakthrough doses of their opioid medications and those physicians lost their license. So at the level of the Texas Medical Board, they don't recognize and don't accept and don't believe that cannabis is a real therapeutic. And so we're caught in this catch 22 for our population of patients ostensibly who need this the most, the people who are managing them with these very high risk medications are terrified and will often fire them from their practice if they have a urine drug screen that has cannabis in it. And um, so it's, it's this very difficult barrier for them to overcome. And a lot of them do want to offer it but they're afraid of losing their license. Well, it's um, it's interesting. I, I know a doctor up at Baylor Medical Center in Dallas, um, and, and, and uh, um, just Doctor Jackson. He he's he he has d had incredible results with uh, with veterans and uh, doing the microdosing of psychedelics. And he he wants he wants to, for us to do an article about it. But at the but he's also a little hesitant because he doesn't want to draw too much attention to himself, Wendy, uh, about what he's doing. So he's, he, I've kind of, I touch base with him about every three months of the year, just to see when he might yeah. want to step forward. He, he, he wants to get, he, I guess he's still kind of just, you know, keeping his research to himself, but he says he's having great results and, um, yep. he's not ready to market what he's doing publicly as far as, you know, yeah. marketing it with us, but yeah. I just want to get him to contribute as a writer and, you know, yes. uh, and, and talk about the research because, but he's had some um, great, uh, great experiments with and results with the veterans community specifically. I believe you. And that's exactly, I'm assuming his concern is the medical board, if they find out that pain management doctors are prescribing opioids to patients who have a positive cannabis on their screens, will sanction them, will discipline them, and in the most severe cases, may take their licenses away. So it, it makes no sense. So it's something that is so safe that we know from all the other states, so unfair, that reduces their need for their opiates and the medications that are killing people by the tens of thousands, that the medical board is still disciplining physicians who allow their patients to use cannabis in their practice. And I know that's the, the situation is and why he doesn't want to come forward and advocate because we're all still a little bit living in the shadow. Mm -hmm. As yeah. a pain doctor, he has to write a lot of opioids and really like primary care docs and pain docs are the only ones who can write for chronic use of those medications in any doses because of the, you know we're being so strict on the regulations with them because so many people are dying. So we are caught in this vicious cycle of um you know self-defeating self-fulfilling prophecy with this as it were that people are afraid to allow their patients to use it the ones who are knowledgeable and then we've got this giant population who don't believe it or don't know about it who won't offer it so it's frustrating yeah and we're all like you guys are doing a great job talking about it making it public bringing it out of the shadows trying to gain acceptance and awareness so that's really what I think we want to be focusing on. I've been talking yeah. to our friend yeah. Dalton also about trying to highlight a couple of things. And we really want to figure out ways. Mitch Fuller, who's um, a big representative of the veteran community, obviously David, some of the big veterans groups, like we have got to make the, the program more people, more people in Texas aware of it. Yeah, and then and one more, like just to beat the, the, the syndrome. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Not just aware of it, but you know, I, like, I'm curious, what do people have to do? Like if they're interested in, you know, getting the teacup mm -hmm. prescription or whatever, is there like a database of doctors they can go see that will prescribe it? Like, don't you have to see a certain yeah. doctor that's in the program? Yeah. Correct. You need to see a teacup prescriber. And I think DPS probably has that information on their site. I know that like Good Blend has on their website and I think Texas OG as well. They've got um, lists of providers and some of them that you can do telehealth visits with on their um, websites. Um, so that's one way for them to find it. But I think the DPS website probably has the list mm -hmm. of the, the doctors who are prescribers in the program. And then once you find a doctor who is a prescriber, what, what we require and I think everybody requires is that we need um, some documentation of your qualifying condition from a provider who's qualified to make that diagnosis 
in the records, like on officially on the record um, so we can prescribe. Because I remember it was kind of funny when I was like two or three years ago when I started prescribing, I had one young man, he's probably in his 20s, come in and he was <laughs> he was funny. It's, it's cute. He came and he goes, yeah, I need to. I've got a lot of problems with pain and anxiety. I need to get a prescription for some weed and I wanted you to refill my Adderall and I need some Percocet because sometimes I need that too. And I was like, bro, I need to keep my license. You're going to need to bring me some documentation. I can't just give you like five controlled substances and you go on your merry way. <laughs> right. Um, so no, it doesn't work yeah. like that. It doesn't work like that yet. Yeah. Uh, no, but yeah. uh, not yet Not uh, yet here, but, uh, but uh, it, there is a, a program and, and, you know, they can contact you in San Antonio. We've had, um, yeah. there was a group, uh, Alamo, some, Alamo something ran an ad with me one time in 2021. I've had Texas medical marijuana doctors. Yeah. There's, there's some of the doctors groups, Wendy, have, have advertised yep. or marketed that yes. they can, they take the call for the patient and then uh, they go and can fulfill it with, um, you know, uh, uh, Texas original or good blend, whoever, uh, that will fulfill those. Absolutely. But, and I work out of a, um. I work out of a clinic in Laredo as well. So, and I do prescriptions for patients in Laredo. And if there's patients in more in the Valley or closer to there who need somebody. So um, yeah, they, they can find us in different places, but I think those are good places to start. The other comment that I wanted to make was that just to this, um, like, why, why don't people know about it? And again, I know I sound like a conspiracy theorist, but there have been studies that looked at and estimate that if Everybody who had access to cannabis medicine was able to use it and did use it with relief, that it might impact in a negative way the pharmaceutical revenues up to about a 20 to 30 percent. And so for for an entity that it's like, you know, they cannot generate enough profits to satisfy them, they're going to obviously fight against sacrificing revenues. And I know we want what's best for the patients, but they want, they're more concerned about their bottom line. That's Do you think they might yeah. um, put their hands in the manufacturing of cannabis related medicines and kind of monopolize it? Is that well, a yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's could, possible. They would. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We, have, we have four or four or five FDA approved cannabinoid or cannabis-based medicines, I think four that are available in the United States and one that's available in Europe and, and Israel that's um, not uh, like an analog or something of what we offer here. So that's, again, like to my doctor friends who are skeptical and things like, this is already a thing. It exists. People yeah. prescribe Marinol. It's kind of trash, you know, mm-hmm. but um, but it is a cannabinoid medicine and it had to go through all of the FDA process. If they thought that it wasn't medicinal, they wouldn't have gone to that effort. Mm-hmm. And th- if they could figure out a way to patent, don't, they would have done it decades ago. But it's hard. You can't patent a plant. You can't reproduce its exact terpene content and its cannabinoid percentages exactly. It's very hard to do those things. And again, it's still Schedule 1. So the amount of effort and the layers of difficulty to do those studies is very, very uh, obstructive, obtrusive, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I want to talk about, you know, the pharmaceutical firms, you know, you can get me riled up on go, going off on those guys. But I mean, I think that, yeah, you know, they're yeah, almost yeah. I think the FDA is almost complicit with some of the, you know, they take the money federally from the uh, the pharmaceutical industry has got a big, huge influence. And I find it a bit Orwellian, Wendy, when your cable news networks are reporting uh, mainstream government mandated reports for medicine or, or health uh, protocols, especially as we got out of this pandemic. Uh, but when the broadcast is sponsored by Merck, Pfizer, or Johnson and Johnson, yes, uh, uh, yep. this gets really Orwellian. You yeah. know, can you comment yeah. or speak to that at all? Is that because uh, yeah. I'd kind of like to yes. talk a little bit about that a little, and maybe yes. even the pandemic. Yes, you can. And I just thought I'd get your take oh, on this because yeah. you, you're oh. you're one of us. Yeah. You're on our side. <laughs> I am. So I want to hear hear kind of as a doctor, you've got to yeah. have an opinion on this too. I do. I do. And I will, I like to preface my comments with there is a role. Obviously there's a huge role for pharmaceuticals. I take a number of pharmaceuticals. I've got thyroid dysfunction and autoimmune conditions and stuff. But with that said, um, you're hundred percent correct. We are one of, I think only two countries in the world mm-hmm. where pharmaceutical companies are allowed to direct market to patients. Um, and that's not allowed anywhere else. So the patients come in asking for 
their vibrant or trentelics or whatever new thing that they saw commercial they saw because they saw all those happy people who were living so gleefully with all of their conditions and then the you know the prescribing expands and all of those things um and and then the other issue is that like i heard a statistic so i'm i may be getting this wrong but i was astounded i think someone told me that there are like nine lobbyists per representative that are assigned from the pharmaceutical lobbies alone. So that's like, nine. you're not just being like double teamed, you're being like nine on one to each lobby. Like you think that those mm. people aren't influenced by that, right? Like, you know, the revenues that they make and the money that they spend that obviously corrupts people and influences the way they vote and the things that they support and the things that trickle down or, you know, drop like a hammer onto the public. And, and it's it's unfair. Um, the FDA's budget estimates range from 50 to 80% of the FDA's budget comes from the pharmaceutical yes. industry. Now, where wow. is that legal yes. in any other industry? It's that's a completely shocking. obscene, horrible. Well, yeah. that's so one of the things like, that and it angers me when I- don't even have a conversation. Well, that I, I, I was one of the few people in my entire family surround, the entire family on my- my fiance side, my parents side, my siblings. I was like the only one that did not take this vaccines uh, as this was being pushed on everyone. And, and, and I'm like the crazy, I guess I'm the crazy one for not taking the <laughs> vaccines. Right. But, but I think uh, as we start to learn more, have you heard about these veers or vaccine adverse events? Uh, because this is, yeah, there's a documentary film or two about this. Um, oh, yeah. And I know that my wife had, um, my fiance had a hysterectomy, Wendy, as a result, I think, of partly of some of the vaccines because the adverse re uh, reporting uh, showed that that was a case for uh, multiple uh, vaccine recipients uh, the, the, that, th you know, the female, there was a lot of stuff going on. You could comment on this. Uh, surely you must, you're OBGYN, yeah. you, you must have seen, yeah. uh, can you comment on any of the, the adverse sure. uh, or yeah. uh, VAERS uh, uh, vaccine yeah. adverse uh, event reporting? Advent, yes. So um, for sure we know that menstrual changes um, can occur following vaccination. They can vary in severity. Some people don't have any issues, but a lot of women did. Heavier, yeah. more painful, things like that. Um, there's reports that have found increased rates for miscarriages. The, there's some very interesting works, very scientifically researched and very well supported. We have been kind of indoctrinated for decades about vaccinations being helpful. And um, the truth is that they are never tested against placebos. So you're never going to get actual true reports of what their harms are because you're not testing them against a placebo ever. Wow. Um, you're never going to get, uh, and then they... They were granted full immunity from any liability or prosecution um, back in the 1980s. So now they have carte blanche to push vaccines at every level, starting with infants before they are out of the delivery room. They're getting a hepatitis B vaccine. And hepatitis B is not something that your newborn baby is likely to get exposed to. So why do they need to get it before they, they leave the delivery room? Um, there's a couple of works. One is called Turtles All the Way Down. And then uh, Robert Kennedy Jr.'s book, um, The Real Anthony Fauci, is like 24-hour-long audible read um, mm. that is very, very alarming um, uh, about all of these issues. So I respect people's rights to choose whether they take a vaccine or don't take a vaccine. I have a huge problem with you shoving, mandating right. people to take an experimental vaccine. And then again, the ones that were mRNA vaccines, they've never brought those to market before because in trials like up to 100% of all the animals that received those vaccines subsequently died, not immediately, oh, wow. but the next time they were exposed to the whatever virus that they had been immunized against, they mounted these exaggerated risk immune responses and had horrible outcomes. So um, that, that's yeah. a whole other can of worms. I really don't like. I find it, it disturbing. So yeah, I find it disturbing that um, reporting on vaccine injury isn't more mainstream. It just seems like there's such an effort to um, censor these stories. 
Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I'm like, I've got my tinfoil hat on, so everybody knows. <laughs> but um, the what was put out into the public for consumption and on the socials was absolutely controlled. And now, um, like what we're seeing on YouTube and other channels, are that people who express dissenting opinions yeah. are not only being like censored; they're being shut down. There now, they're being prosecuted. Things like this. It's an ugly, it's an ugly state. Yeah, it, it is an ugly situation, but it's something that I still, you know, part of me likes to talk about. I have another podcast actually called Paranoid America, and we talk a lot about that stuff uh, on, uh, on, a, on, a, on a weekly basis when we do those shows. But uh, we're going to take last commercial break. We'll come back with Dr. Wendy Askew uh, here on Podcast 145. And then I think on the other side, we might talk about sex a little bit on the next okay. segment a little and uh, ask awesome. her what, because uh, she does deal with that as well so uh great show this week uh rachel i'm russell we'll be right back podcast 145 we'll continue after this dr wendy ask you our guest Local brand Sweet Sensi, known as the original Texas Rosin Company, presents another year of bringing the hemp industry and the people of Texas together to celebrate all things cannabis at their Texas Hemp Harvest Festival. The Sweet Sensi brand, known as the best true full-spectrum organic gourmet candy manufacturer in Texas, has been selling out the Texas Hemp Harvest Festival for the last two years. This year's festival holds two days of elevated cannabis experiences on November 3rd and 4th downtown East 4th Street at Distribution Hall, showcasing hemp and art vendors from all around the state and features on stage top reggae artists like 10-Foot Ganja Plant, Sister Nancy, Josh Heinrichs with Skillinja, Pacifier, and Austin's own Mau Mau Chaplains. Sponsorships available to companies interested in showcasing their brand to the large audience. Buy your tickets and inquire about sponsorship and vendor spots at TexasHempHarvestFestival.com. The Texas Hemp Reporter is your leader in hemp and cannabis news for fellow Texans. Covering legislative news, alternative product reviews, health, retailer profiles, and celebrity interviews. Cannabis products are growing in availability and in more improved flavors. Ask about your brand being profiled in the magazine. Learn how your products can be featured in the Texas Hemp Reporter magazine and how you can be a guest on the Texas Hemp Show on ESPN Austin. Did you know that the Texas Hemp Reporter magazine is available absolutely free at over 700 CBD stores and smoke shops across Texas, Dallas, Houston, Austin, and San Antonio. Can't find a magazine? Read each issue online at TexasHempReporter.com. For over three years, the Texas Hemp Reporter magazine has educated our readers with news and culture about this amazing plant. For more information, email Russell at TexasHempReporter at gmail.com. That's TexasHempReporter at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Selling my soul, working all day, overtime hours for bullshit pay, so I can sit out here and waste my life away, drag back home and drown my troubles away. It's a damn shame what the world's gotten to for people like me, people like you. Wish I could just wake up and it not be true, but it is. Oh, it is. All right, welcome back to the podcast, uh, podcast number 145 this week on the show. Are going? Uh, we just celebrated three years of doing the Texas Hemp Show podcast. We started the shows, guys, in like the last few weeks of September in 2020 as we were uh, just kind of uh, in the infancy of our, our publishing, the Texas Hemp Reporter magazine, but uh, celebrating three years here this week uh, with the uh, show. And uh, great to have... Uh, our guest, uh, Wendy, asks you on. You don't get a doctor on the show uh, too often. We do have have, have doctors on. We've had lawyers on. Uh, we've had uh, many a professional on. But you know, I'm a fan of Wendy's work, and and uh, you know, when you get a doctor on, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a couple of couple of haymakers out at you. And I, I know she's I know you she's <laughs> I sure did I sure did. But yeah. I but yeah. I know that uh, you 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 mean well, and you you okay. uh, you strike me as a you know a person that really 
you know, cares about the patient and, and, uh, and you're a big spokes advocate, you know, with obviously with the holistic side and then of course the cannabis. So I just felt like, you know, I would love to get your take on, on some of those, uh, things that we don't always see, uh, get asked, uh, uh especially on mainstream media, but let's I talk, let, you. let's yeah. talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about <laughs> my favorite. Absolutely. Let's, something less let's talk it. about something Everything. less yeah. controversial. Right. No, uh, yeah. uh, is it true? Sex is better on weed. I think it is. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and I think like, and there's science to support it. Like, this is one of my favorite talks. Um, just think about the beneficial things like the enhanced sensations and um, the feelings in the, 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 the sense of elongations of time perception. But for people who suffer with pain or anxiety or, or inhibitions, the right amounts, you know, not overdosing it because then you'll get that the, um, the biphasic effect, but at appropriately dosed, they'll have less pain, they'll be more calm, they'll be more in the moment. Um, so based on the research, which is pretty fluffy research, mm -hmm. surveys and things, it's like upwards of 80% of men and I think more than 55 to 60% of women do say that their sexual experiences are enhanced when they are under the influence of cannabis. So that research is so much fun to, to look at. And then we did a really funny um, presentation during right after the pandemic with Nisha Whiteley and um, for a, a group uh, looking at cannabis and sex. <laughs> and um, the data was so much fun to look at. Carl, what's that? You, Carl, um, Carl, you, my producer had something to shout out there. I need to give him a microphone. Yeah, you, you, got, you got something yeah, you, got something you want Carl. to share, Carl? Oh, I guess he's asking. Is, 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 he, well, I, he's not mic'd up, but I'll ask for him. He said, okay. "He said, is it true that if a, a, a male a, a male individual smokes too much cannabis, does it is there truth to it affecting their sterility or so performance? We, no, performance or fertility? Performance. Performance. He was asking. Performance. So theoretically, yes, um, but that would be with large amounts right like but it's not this it's not like the amounts as... carl uses <laughs> <laughs> you don't smoke that much carl uh, yeah, go ahead you know, but i go ahead no go ahead i Wendy. do have a comment about it go ahead, um, go ahead. the fun, like the the analogous alcohol is the the whiskey dick thing and you don't see that um not nearly as much with cannabis as with alcohol right so if we're going right. to compare our uh, culturally sanctioned um, schedule one drug that we should all recognize that should be a schedule one drug, alcohol, the outcomes are so much better if you're using cannabis than weed from function to sensation, to performance, to enjoyment, to a funny study out of the colleges that um, surveyed students and apparently the cannabis goggles are way better than the beer goggles. So whole, like you go to bed at 10 or at two with a 10 and you wake up at 10 with a two does not happen. There is way less regret of the morning after if you're high compared to if you're drunk. Yes. So that is funny. That's got to be true. I would think that would be true, but just uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. from from what uh, from what I would hear culturally people talk about. I have no I can't comment on that. Yeah. No, no. But is there data that supported that people were um stopped having more sex during the pandemic? I mean, we were kind of all claustrophobic up. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine being single at that time, I was, I'm not single and haven't been yeah. for many years, but, um, I mean, did you, were you hearing things uh, about, uh, uh, activity being yeah. down because of the pandemic? Yeah. Well, and I talked about it a little bit on Juan's podcast, but that statistic is really terrifying that, um, as much as 30% of young men have not had sex in a year. And this all sort of began with the pandemic, with the lockdowns when people weren't going out. And then there was all this heightened fear and exposure and getting sick and all of these things. And they've kind of uh, maintained, it's continued for various reasons. Young people and older people, but especially young people are having less sex. And that's a big deal. Um, you know, we don't, we want people to be having the right sex, right? Consensual sex in, in relationships, ideally, and not as much with the casual hookups and that culture has its own beliefs about, about the good or the bad of that, but you need human connection. 
You need to have, um, you know, physical contact with people. It's very beneficial. It promotes social bonding and it promotes happiness and closeness. And it makes you feel connected within your society to people, um, not just having sex with them, but being out and engaging and doing things and not just being in your basement watching porn and, and <laughs> right. gaming all the time. Yeah, like, those think- are very unhealthy behaviors. That's part of the problem, I think, is just, you know, everybody's just access to porn and OnlyFans. And it just seems like people are more interested in like that instant gratification rather than putting the effort into like a relationship and actually courting somebody. Yeah, I think that I think some of the challenges, I mean, we didn't have this. Our generation didn't have this, Wendy. But I mean, I I think that there's challenges with 21st century sexual behavior, given with social media sites, the dating websites. You know, you yeah. spoke to pornography. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot different for my child, my kids' generation than back in my day. In my day, we had to get the digits. It was like yes. getting. Yes. We had to yes. get. You know, we had to get the digits on the piece of paper. In fact, I think I got my kid's mother's phone number when I met her on a piece of paper. Like the point is, it's a yes. lot different in oh, 90, cool. 93 than it is in twenty twenty three. Wendy, a hundred percent. And that is everything you touched on are contributing factors to this loss of relationship mm-hmm. with young people because now you're it's not you're not just confined to meeting the people who are in Austin or San Antonio or wherever you are. Now you can get online on Tinder or wherever and, and you've got literally the whole world is your oyster to meet people that you might meet. But I, I made this comment on um, Juan's podcast too, like what what happens? It's documented. The top 20% of men, based on their appearance, their um, the trappings of their social status, uh, how their whatever they're flexing on their sites, being their things, their money, their status, their appearance, is going to draw in 80% of the female participants on that dating site or app or whatever they're using. And then the lower 80% of the men who are online trying to meet people are going to be getting rejections, not getting as many um, I don't even know what you, what you call them, likes, contacts, uh, messaging, or, or responses. Swipe, swipe right. And they'll just yeah. withdraw. They'll just, yes, they'll just withdraw from the mm-hmm. game. And mm-hmm. then, then they've got their, if they need a, an interaction, they can go online and they can have, you know, I guess, interactions with someone on a site. And you can have uh, sex on your phone with somebody or yeah. you know, watch them on a screen and then I jerk see. off to that, whatever you're doing. It's not healthy. I see a really scary future of just people having like AI sex robots and they don't have to actually (laughs) deal with like a human person. And that's really scary to think that that's where society is. Have you read about that? I've heard people talk about it, but very advanced. Yes. Well, um, and I think it's very scary too. I like our theme music. Yeah. Well, um, uh, it's a thing and it's, it's a sad thing. It's a bad thing for our society. Yeah. So, and I think it has a lot of negative effects that we're seeing. So put the phone down, millennials. Go out and have a dance. Yeah. Uh, go meet yeah. somebody in person. Uh, get the digits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Fire off your fire off your website, Wendy. Tell folks how they can get in touch with you and learn more about the great yep. work you do. Thank you. I'm on drwendyaskyou.com, and we are revamping the website. It's old, but I've got a new web developer. We're revamping it, and pretty soon we're going to start dropping episodes of the Sex, Drugs, and Wellness uh, podcast with Dr. Wendy, where we're going to be talking about my favorite subjects, sex, drugs, and wellness. <laughs> and uh, thank you so much for having me, Russell and Rachel. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you so much. And I just thought I'd shout out before we go, uh, you contributed your first piece of editorial to the new October issue of the Texas Hemp Reporter. So yeah, um, sure you got yeah. a new article in there. What I forget what it was that the topic was. Do you, what, what did you cover on this new October issue? You know what? I don't remember either. I think I, I talked about anxiety. Yep. Oh, you did. You did a depression and anxiety. Yes. It was an issue, and that's right. Yeah, that's yeah, the article that yeah. your first article. I hope you continue yeah. to contribute to us. We would I love to. Will. We'd love to keep to have you have you um, in you. there and and. Thank uh, but thank you for for stopping by and saying hi. We wish you the best on your upcoming podcast, which I look forward to hearing to uh, and listening you. to as well. But uh, um, great having you on this week. We appreciate your time, Wendy.
Thanks so much. Y'all take care. All right. There she goes. There's Dr. Wendy Askew. Check out her new podcast coming soon. You'll be able to hear that. Uh, that her podcast will be Sex, Drugs, and Wellness uh, Expert with Dr. Wendy Askew. Look forward to that coming uh, soon as uh, her website also gets updated. But great show this week, Rachel. Uh, I thought that was pretty educational and, and a little lighthearted at the end after <laughs> after going after the pharmaceutical industry so hard and heavy there for a little bit. Uh, a little bit there with... Um, uh, with that news but great show um, next week who do we have on we have um, oh the guys from Fun Canada are going to be on they are a funding organization I picked them up there if you guys all of you guys probably all subscribe to um, Marijuana Moment on your e e emails uh, but Fun Canada is a funding agency and they give uh, loans out to cannabis oriented businesses oh, and wow. it's like a financial uh, fund so uh, uh, sourcing organization and uh, so we're going to talk to their ceo uh alan next week and then 4k farms will be on and uh, or 4k farm will be on and then uh tim from um uh the uh, grunt style uh, my shirt here the uh, tim jensen will be on to talk with us uh, a little bit about his work that he does uh, for veterans so great show this week podcast 145 we'll get out of here and see you next week thanks for tuning in guys stay tuned we'll see you next week thank you